And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and anointing and empowering this night, speaking through me. And Lord, I just thank you tonight for everything that's going to be accomplished through this time in the Word that you will to be done. Even now, the Holy Spirit moving upon everybody that's going to be watching or listening and helping us to give you our best, your full attention, our focus, and to be good soil for the Word. And that as you speak through me, living seeds of truth sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, taking root, growing, and producing a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And everything will be accomplished in and through this time that you will to be done. Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We bind anything that would try to hinder this from getting where it's supposed to go and accomplish what it's supposed to. We commit to be bound and back off in Jesus' name. But Lord, we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish everything you sent it for to do. So we thank you for that, that the wind of the Spirit is going to blow this out, carry this out among the nations, and it will get where it's supposed to be and accomplish what it's supposed to We thank you for it. We expect it, and we agree together as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If anybody was in here, I could just hear amen. All right, so we're going to look at part two of the wolves in sheep's clothing or whatever, wolves among the sheep. And just looking at this sermon series that we are going through here, last week was a very significant sermon because we've got to discern between what's of God, what's of just man, and what's of the devil. And there's a lot of things that, you know, everything that God does, it's like the enemy tries to bring some kind of a counterfeit, something there to bring confusion, to get something off. And so you have to discern that. Because if there becomes a mixture between the holy and profane, the Holy Spirit will move off that. So we have to discern it. We have to protect and keep everything pure. And I talked about last week how some of the ways we can do that is by making sure that that we screen that those that teach, those that pray for people, things like that, or people that are proven. you got to know those that labor among you. And I believe a praying church is a powerful church, and I believe praying about these things, that alone is going to help because as we pray about it, God himself, will help separate and keep out things that don't need to be here. So there's other things. Just make sure you go back and listen to that. But tonight I want to look at something a little bit different, kind of dovetailing off that as a part two. And I'm going to look at the fifth column principle. And many of you probably heard that phrase, the fifth column. I'm going to tell you where it comes from. But there's a story that's related about a certain Spanish general who was attacking a Spanish city. And another general came up to him and said, tell me, general, what is your plan to capture this city? And so the first general said, well, I have my four columns advancing, one from the north, one from the south, one from the east and the west. So I've got them completely surrounded. My four columns are coming in from all four directions. But then he paused and added, but I don't think it's the four columns that's going to take the city. He said, I believe it'll be my fifth column that'll take the city. And so the, the general said, well, now, what is your fifth column? Where are they at? And he said, my fifth column is inside the city. And so, see, the fifth column is the group of traitors that's inside the city, like a Trojan horse, okay, who will betray the city to the attackers from, that are coming from without. And it is only through this fifth column principle, really, that the church um, is defeated at times. 
It's never really truly from the outside. It seems like it's always from the inside. Whether it's your individual life personally or a church, it seems like if the devil can worm the wrong people in, it can create division and it can create all kinds of problems. And then pretty soon, defeat follows. And that's, that's how Satan has worked all along. And that's why the Bible says a kingdom divided can't stand right there. That's what I'm talking about. And so it's extremely important, even if we don't always understand everything, and because we don't understand everything, sometimes we may not always agree with every little thing because we don't understand. A lot of times leaders absolutely cannot get up and say things that we know publicly behind the scenes because there's problematic things that we're dealing with and we can't publicly talk about it. And so decisions are made that a lot of times people don't understand the decisions and don't really know what's going on. But if they had the information the leadership had, they would understand. But you can't share all of that all the time. Does that make sense? And so it's important to understand that even though we don't always understand everything and consequently may not always agree with every little thing, that we have to lay everything down at the foot of the cross and remain unified. Because Satan's greatest tactic is to create disorder and division and ultimately through that to bring destruction. And that has worked time and again. I've been around now long enough in the ministry to know about several places where the devil has done that very thing. And many of those suffered loss and some of them never recovered. In fact, some of them just end up shutting their doors eventually. So that's not God's plan, is it? But that's when Satan has wormed in his fifth column in. And sadly, his, Satan's fifth column is not necessarily people that, that are unsafe people. A lot of times, Satan's fifth column will be Christians that have issues in their life. And so that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Next week, I'll talk about how Satan actually targets churches in ministries by sending in his servants. And so don't miss next week because we'll deal more with that. And that's actually the non-Christians that are sent to attack in that way, to infiltrate and destroy from within. But this week, I want to deal with those that are just simply deceived Christians or those that have issues that are not dealt with, okay? So we all know that there's a, in the latter days, there's going to be great deception, and I believe that it's not only here, it's been here now, and it's getting a lot worse. And people that their minds are not under the blood of Jesus, and they don't have the Holy Spirit within them to keep them, and they don't know the Word, they're susceptible to deception. And that's where you're getting all this weird, crazy stuff that's out there in the world, because any, but any of us that our minds are protected by the blood of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we look at a lot of things out there and we're just shaking our heads like, how can people believe this? How, how can people even think this? I mean, this is so far out there, but yet they believe it enough that, they're, that some of them would die for it, but they're totally deceived. But we shouldn't be surprised by that because the Bible predicted that there would be great deception in the last days. In fact, the Bible said because people did not love the truth, they were given over to a delusion as to believe a lie. 
And how many knows that delusions are where you see things a certain way, but it's not that way? It's delusional. So, and if God gives somebody over to delusion, to believe a lie, how many knows they are going to be deluded to believe a lie, so to speak, or however you would say that? They're going to be deceived. If God gives somebody over, they're going to be deceived. And I think about Romans where it said that, and because of these things that lists all these sins, it says eventually people are kind of given over to a reprobate mind. How many of you guys have read these scriptures? And so there comes a point in time where God keeps convicting and keeps dealing with people and they keep resisting the Holy Spirit that eventually they can be given over. But I'm speaking tonight to those that are Christ, that are blood-bought, and I believe God's hand is on you, and you're going to be protected from that. As the Bible says in Matthew 24, that even the very elect could be deceived if that were possible. But see, I don't believe that it's really, truly possible because God's going to protect us from it. But that's how strong deception is going to be. The Bible says it will be so intense that it would be possible for the elect to be deceived if it wasn't for God's protection. Do you see what I'm saying? And we're in those days. All right, so with that said, let me give you some scriptures about this. In Matthew 24, 4, we know this. I share this quite a bit. But Jesus' disciples came to him in confidence for kind of a briefing about the end times, and, and Jesus primarily was giving a summary of the end times in Matthew 24. But the, la- the very first thing Jesus said was this. He says, see to it that no one deceives you. So that right there alone, that alone is the greatest warning. Jesus said, make sure now that you don't get deceived in the last days. Now, Matthew uh, 13, starting with verse 24 through 30, is a very common parable that we're all familiar with, the tares among the wheat. But before I read this, you have to understand that tares... It, it looks exactly like wheat. It, it, you can't tell them apart. If, if somebody came into a wheat field and sowed the tares and they grew up side by side, you would not know until the harvest because when it matured and ripened, the wheat would have grain at the top of it, and that would be what differentiates it. So Jesus said that, the, that to look for fruit, I believe this is a similar idea here, that it was the, the fruit, if you will, the grain that set, made a difference between what's a tear and what's a wheat. But the wheat would have grain on it, consequently would kind of bow over from the weight of the grain. And the tear would stand erect and have nothing on it, and so that's how you would know the difference. But the only way you would know was by examining the fruit, so to speak. And even with that said, because we're talking about people, even with that said, there's still an element there that we try to give people the benefit of the doubt. We try to work with people, etc. cetera, that it's, it is possible for us to be tricked by people. There are some people that are really good liars. There are some that are master manipulators, and they really should be in Hollywood because, man, they, they, they're good actors. And given the opportunity, they could trick us. But God is never deceived, and we have to lean on him, you see. We have to look to him to help us with that, because God himself will help separate the tares, which is what I want to show you here. So Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. So he planted all this wheat. But while he, him and his men were sleeping, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, the tares became evident also, and the slaves of the landowner came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in the field? How is it that this thing has tares? Tares are just weeds. They're, they're useless. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. How many knows the devil tries to do that? We have a good group, but the devil's always wanting to bring in tares among the wheat. That's his main goal. If I can get that fifth column in there. And so the servants, the slaves said to him, do you want us then to go through and gather up the tares? But the owner said, no, while you're trying to gather up the tares, you're probably also going to uproot the wheat with them. So he said, don't do that. He said, just allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to be burned. Then we'll gather the wheat. And see, if you read other parables, the reapers many times are the angels. And you can see that in Matthew 13, 39, it says the end of the age is the harvest. The harvesters, that's the reapers, those that gather in the sheaves, are the angels. So God will send his angels. And so here's, the, here's what I want you to see from this, was that the owner there, which could be like a leader, like a pastor, somebody like that, could say, look, if you try to go through yourself and try to separate the wheat and the tares, you're going to end up pulling out some wheat accidentally. You're going to misjudge some people. But let them grow up until harvest time because it's going to become evident by the fruit that you see. And he said that the angels, the reapers, will go through and start removing the tares. That's the way I take this parable. And so as leadership has the humility and the wisdom to pray, Lord, we don't know everybody's heart. We can examine fruit, but there's still sometimes good people that may have bad fruit for a time, and they're going to repent. But there may be some really evil people that look really good on the outside. We don't really know everybody that well. Only you know the hearts of men, and you know who are really tares and who are really wheat. And so we ask you, Lord, that you would send your angels and begin to uproot the tares from the wheat and get rid of them. Pretty soon, as you pray that way, things will begin to come up. They'll get offended about something, something will happen. And pretty soon, God's angels are clearing out the tares. And it's, it's no different than weeding a garden. You know, it's interesting in this fallen world that we live, you can plant the most beautiful, like a flower bed. You, you can plant the flower bed, everything is beautiful. You can put all kinds of, of good sod in there and fertilizer and mulch, and you can get it so beautiful. But if you don't keep that thing, there's, there's no doubt that weeds are going to start coming in there. It's just, it's the fallen world that we live in. In the same way, leadership has to be on top of it. It has to be praying and keeping out the weeds. And so, let me give you a few more scriptures here. In 1 John 2, 19, it says that they went out from us. And this is an interesting scripture because 
In the last days, there's scriptures that says, in the latter days, some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits, they're listening to seducing, deceiving spirits. That word is really deceiving spirits. And things taught by demons, but they're, they're abandoning the faith. They're departing. And I read those scriptures and I think, man, what in the world would cause somebody to walk away from the Lord? But it says it right there. It says that they're, they're hearing doctrines, teachings that, that originate from demonic sources. They're coming through people. You understand that they're not hearing, they're not sitting at the foot of some horned being, a demon that's teaching. No, no. These teachings are coming through human beings. Did y'all just hear what I said? They're coming through people, but they originate in hell itself. So there's, there's teachings that are from a demonic source, and it has this powerful, seducing spirit on that teaching, like a satanic anointing, that is getting into people's hearts and minds that they're listening to it, and it's taking them away from the Lord. There's teachings out there that if you're not careful, listen to what I'm saying, because this is truth, and I'm not exaggerating at all. There's teachings out there now that may have never been taught since the early church, and even then, maybe never, that is to the degree of even teaching people to not repent. Did y'all just hear what I said? Who in their right mind would listen to something that stupid that's telling you to not repent of your sins? But they're not teaching it in that, with that exact word. No, no, no. There's a deception about it. There's a smooth tongue. There's, there's like a satanic anointing that uses Scripture to put a spin on it that is saying things like, well, Jesus paid for your sins, past, present, and future, so the sins that you will commit tomorrow, hey, they're already forgiven. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is, this is, and listen, this is being taught right now and has been. This is being taught, uh, and this, I think of one person in particular, on television, on the internet, it's in things like books. And I'm not being mean or anything. I'm just telling you that that type of teaching comes from demon spirits. The Bible says doctrines of demons. So the source is demonic. And it's coming through people that are teaching in such a way that's leading people, seducing them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me assure you that it is of utmost importance that we come to Jesus and that we deeply repent of all of our sins. And that we also turn from them and quit doing them. And so there's people that are going to leave. They're going to depart from the faith. And the Bible says here in 1 John 2.19, this is an interesting scripture. It says that they went out from us but they were never really of us. That's interesting. That makes me think that, well, wait a second. They must have been tares among the wheat. We just didn't know it. They left. They departed from the faith. But they were never really of us to begin with. 
For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so it would be shown that they were not of us. You can't tell me that scripture isn't referring to the tares being separated from the wheat. That's exactly what that's saying. We did not know that they were tares. They seemed to be of us. They knew our lingo. They knew scripture. They came to church. By all accounts, we thought that they were of us. But yet, the reapers came in. Y'all hearing me? Next news you know, they're being removed out. There's going to be this departing from the faith, but some of that are those that were never really of us. You know, it makes me think about this. We, in modern times now, we understand DNA. So we understand that there's different DNA. When you are truly born again, let me just assure you that spiritually speaking, you now spiritually have a new DNA. At one time, you were just a fallen man of Adam, but now you've been born again, and the Spirit of God has come in you, and you're of the last Adam, the Christ, the Messiah, a new birth. You're a new creation. Does this make sense? And so it's spiritually speaking, there's two different DNAs. Just like the weed and tares, they look the same, but they have to have a different DNA. Does this make sense? They have to. But by all accounts, when they're, they're in their youth, so to speak, and they're growing up, you can't tell the difference between them until things come to maturity. If you look at it from the surface, you don't know there's a different DNA. They look the same. But as time progresses, it becomes obvious that there is a different DNA. It's kind of like Jesus, when he comes in his millennial reign, he said, it says in the Bible that he's going to separate the sheep and goat nations, which I don't want to rabbit trail on end time prophecy because that'll be a whole big long thing. But Jesus, when he comes, there are goat nations that are just evil. And these nations are oppressive. They, uh, they hate Israel. They, they slaughter Christians. They're wicked. And when Jesus comes to reign in the millennial reign, the Bible says it very clearly that he's going to throw those goat nations straight into hell. Now, there's going to be sheep nations, and I pray that America remains a sheep nation because I believe we are one right now, that are going to be allowed, allowed to survive and be under his leadership for a thousand years. So, but I want you to think about this. What's really, if you want to get down to a molecular level, what's really different between sheep and goat is what their DNA. Did y'all just hear what I said? They have different DNA. And sheep are different. Sheep, the reason why the Bible always is talking about God's people in comparison to sheep, because sheep need a shepherd. How many knows we need Jesus? We'd, we'd be all over the place without him, wouldn't we? We need, we need his leadership. And then he functions through the fivefold ministry of the local church and we need that, but, but sheep follow the shepherd. They know his voice. And you know what? Whenever people are truly called to be at a particular church, let me tell you something. They know the voice of the great shepherd up above. They hear that through their shepherd. Did y'all hear what I said? And they, I felt that. And they move with the shepherd. But you know what goats do? Goats rebel. Buck. They go up against. It's different. It's a different DNA. Basically, like if I could speak 
metaphorically here, goats are rebellious and sheep follow. All right, different DNA. This is really interesting, isn't it? Have you ever considered through the years if you've, as you've gone to churches and you've been in the house of God worshiping, have you ever considered the fact that maybe you were sitting beside tares and didn't even know it? Have you ever thought about the fact that the devil has a fifth column in many churches? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about in social events when you go to them and here you are, everybody's got their potluck and they come together and they're, they're all fellowshipping. Have you ever thought that you might be shaking the hands of and talking to a fifth column member? Not everybody that graces the doors of church now, I know that you know this. Not every one of them are the type of people we need to be associating with, and I know you know that. So I'm going to look at another scripture. Acts 20, starting with 25, the apostle Paul is now toward the end of his, his ministry, and he's, he's about to be captured and put in prison, ultimately house arrest, and then we know, under, we know history under Nero, he's beheaded. But he was meeting here with the leaders, so he planted all these churches. Paul traveled. He had three missionary journeys, and he traveled, first with Barnabas, then with Silas. And we know the Bible. He went all throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he would go into these cities, and he would preach, and, and he would plant a church and put a pastor over it. And, and he would, then he would go back through on his missionary journeys and go to these different churches and visit to see how they're going and he correct them and kind of whip them back in shape where they got off and all that, write them letters. And, and we have his letters making up a lot of the New Testament. But Paul gathered together many of his leaders, and they met here, and, and in this passage, he's talking to them. He gathered them in from these various churches, told them, I need you to meet with me. And they all kind of traveled down to where he was, and he had his leadership there, the pastors, the elders, those of influence, and I'm all kind of gathered together, and he's talking to them. And this was basically, from his heart, this would have been his last word to them because he knew that he would never see them again. This would have been very similar to when Jesus in John 17 was out on the Mount of Olives after the Passover Seder and was talking to them, and he knew he was about to be arrested. And he was talking to them, giving him his final instructions, his heart, so this was very similar, and Paul's there talking to his leaders, and he said this, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all people, and I pray that I'll be able to say that because we have to never cease warning people and telling people the truth from the pulpit, amen? In verse 27, he said, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purposes of God, the whole counsel of God. In other words, he preached all of it. He preached the truth. And then in verse 28, he says this, but be on your guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, for I know that after my departure, 
Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And we know that that is true historically. And he said, from among your own selves. He's talking to people there. He's, listen to what he's saying here. He's prophesying to his leaders, and he says, listen, even from <clears throat> among you, who I'm talking to right now, from among you, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Wow. That took some boldness to get up and tell them, listen, even among you guys, some of you are going to lead people astray. Whew. Therefore, he said, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I entrust you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So the apostle Paul said that even among them, there would be savage wolves that would come, not sparing the flock. See, a shepherd has to be, you know, the sheep are on all fours. So a sheep is probably about waist high to me at full maturity. And so when you're on that, that height, you can only see so far. But a shepherd stands up on two legs and can see a little bit further. And the shepherd's job is to see danger approaching. The shepherd's job is to, and I believe this with all my heart, I believe that you know, spiritual or not spiritual or whatever, however you want to look at it. I believe that when God puts somebody in a position, there is a grace about that position that there's a level of discernment that comes with that position. Does that make sense? I just believe that. It's not necessarily about being all hyper-spiritual or anything. I just believe that God gives them grace to, to see things coming. And when you shepherd, you know, you know some things that's beyond you. You see some things that's beyond you that only God could show you, but you kind of see it, and you know that danger is approaching. And so a shepherd's job is to see it and to warn the sheep and to protect the sheep. And what is the shepherd protecting the sheep from? Wolves. And who are wolves? Wolves are not only demonic forces, but wolves are also people that are wolves. You understand what I'm saying? A wolf has different DNA than a sheep. And as much as you love everybody, and you love the wolf, I mean, you care about their soul. You're not against them. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, they're not going to be sleeping around in the, in the sheepfold with my sheep. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to let the fox, I mean, the, the wolf come in among the sheep and hang out with them and think that this is going to end well. And I've known down through the years, I've known some wolves. There's a predator aspect there. And there's something there that, that is, is destructive. And you've got to pray them out, and sometimes you have to confront. And I've had long conversations with other leaders down through the years, and I, I could tell you stories from my own experience, from their experience, that some of which would just blow your mind. But I was talking to Brother John one time, and I knew... If there was something problematic, I said, Brother John, I need you to agree with me because this needs to be dealt with. And he said, he said, well, Pastor said, you know what? We'll pray and God will deal with some things. But he said, let me tell you, sometimes you're just going to have to go tell that person. Sometimes it just takes that. So there has to be a protecting there. 
And as a shepherd, there, there may be some wolf-natured people out there right now that hate my guts right now tonight, September the 18th, 2021. They, just, they loathe me. But you know what? Uh, my head will hit my pillow tonight. I'll sleep just fine, wake up tomorrow and be happy. You know why? Because they're not here destroying my sheep. Do you think the shepherd really cares that the wolf is out in the woods and hates him because he ran him off with his rod? <laughs> no, he don't. So 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen gives us another warning. It says, for such men are false apostles. I don't want to go over this too quickly. I want you to think about some things tonight that maybe you haven't thought about. Have you ever considered that there are true apostles right now, but that there are also false apostles? Have you ever considered that there are people that are sincere workers of the faith and there are deceitful workers? And it says they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. look at this. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Have you ever thought about that? People always think of the devil as this, you know, big red guy with the horns and scary, and he comes in fire-breathing and, and, and just scare everybody half to death. Let me assure you that I'm sure that's an aspect of his nature, but I assure you when he comes to you, he's coming as an angel of light with all kinds of deception. He's going to look like he's of God. Did y'all just hear what I said? Satan does not come the way a lot of people think he comes. He comes very handsome and, and brilliant and beautiful. He wants to look like he's from God and of God. And then it goes on to say this. Now, here's something that's interesting. Therefore, it is not surprising if his ministers also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness who in, whose end will be according to their deeds. So have you ever considered that Satan has ministers? That right there is concerning. There's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of, of beautiful, wonderful men and women of God all over the world that love the Lord and are sincere and do what God's called them to do. But there's a few Satan's ministers out there that appear like an angel of light, if you will, like a servant of righteousness. You would never know it, but they are 100% of the devil. Isn't that scary to think about? Isn't it concerning to think that there's, there's thousands and thousands of wonderful churches out there, good, good leadership, good people, but there are some that are pastored by ministers that are Satan's servants. It would be scary on Judgment Day to stand before the Lord and realize that you had led your family into a place where that minister was actually one of Satan's ministers. We better have some discernment about us. As I'm just reading the scriptures here, that's all I'm doing. And we're just looking at them together tonight. But there are places and there are ministers out there that are absolutely not of God. I could, I could go through a lot of different stories and all that, but I'll just give you one. Dick Rubin actually told this story, and I believe he knew the man personally. But he said that there was a one, you know, there was all these back in the 40s and 50s there was this great move of God for healings and miracles. 
I mean, you had tremendous men of God, like Oral Roberts and William Branham are some of the most known, but there, there were many, many ministers that were flowing back then. The hunt, the, there's a family called the Hunters that, that uh, Joan Hunter is their daughter. She's still ministering that way, by the way. But they had a powerful healing ministry, many. And they saw tremendous miracles. I mean, these were the type of miracles where somebody would have a big gorder or whatever that would literally just shrink right in front of everybody. Things would fall off people, tumors disappear, all kinds of things would happen right there in front of everybody. Great revival of healings and miracles. But there was one guy that his son, he was on his deathbed, and his son came to him and was talking with him, praying with him. They were, his son knew it was bad and knew that he was passing. And um, just wanted to say, Dad, I love you, and I'll see you on the other side. At what, at what point his dad started really crying. He says, son, you won't see me on the other side. And his son said, what? He said, well, he said, at first when I started the ministry, he said it was sincere. And he said, I really had an anointing. But he said, I got off in the sin, and I lost the anointing. And he said, to keep things going, he said, there was like a demonic type thing that came into my life that was through me performing miracles. And he said, I knew it was of the devil. But he said, I still needed the ministry to keep going. I still needed the, the offerings to come in. And he said, I functioned like that for many years. Whew. Hello? And this was from the son telling this. So just be careful. Just because, listen to what I'm saying. Just because there's some kind of a power doesn't mean it's of God. Just because somebody has knowledge that they shouldn't have doesn't mean they got that from the Holy Spirit. They can get supernatural information from demons. And just to hear what I'm saying, just because there's some kind of a miracle doesn't always mean that God did that. It's really interesting because you can even go to other countries where there's medicine men and witch doctors, and, and they, have, they have a list of, of miracles that they've seen through them by the power of demons. They've learned how to do certain rituals, etc., and through witchcraft, they can perform some miracles. Oh, y'all hear what I'm saying? Those people probably wonder about me a little bit because they think, well, you know, why aren't you impressed with everything? Because I don't think that everything out there is of God. But I do believe a lot is. And I am a revival person. And I love the moves of God. I love revival. But I want the real deal. I want a true move of God. I want true healings from the Lord. And y'all know that. I screen people that come through. But we have to be careful. Because also, even people that preach things that are off. I remember there was a story, one of those great, great revivals of the 90s. Before the revival actually broke out, you remember, well, some of you don't remember, but back in the early 90s, there was some tremendous moves of God that began to happen. You hear about Africa, the Reinhardt Bonnke, and you, you, Benny Hinn started holding those big crusades, and they were powerful. And Rodney Howard Brown had come over from Africa, and God began to really move when he was in upstate New York, and I, I think it was 92 or 3. But he ended up going to some different places where God was moving for extended periods of time, like uh, Lakeland, Florida was one of them. And it was a tremendous move of God. And so with Rodney's ministry, there, there came some of the laughter and the joy and all of that. 
And so this one pastor who later on was going to see a great move of God in his church, but he was so hungry for revival. And right before revival broke out in his church, some people had told him, hey, you ought to have so-and-so. And so, you know, he just simply had this guy come in. He brought some people with him. And, and this pastor had had a lot of people come through that were really anointed and powerful and wonderful men of God and women of God. But this particular night, this guy came in to minister. And he just felt uncomfortable. How many of you guys have ever been around something in your spirit, not your flesh, not your human intellect, but in your spirit, you just felt really uncomfortable? You knew something wasn't quite right. He, he was up there, he just knew. He was kind of squirming. He just knew something wasn't. And the guy was preaching. He said, well, what he was preaching was okay, but he said something just wasn't right. And so he told the guy before church, he said, look, I don't know you. We've never met or anything. So after you preach, just give me the mic and we'll, I'll do the altar call uh, since I don't know you. But the guy rebelled. That right there is a red flag. And right after he preached, he said, if you want prayer, come up. And some of his people came up and he started praying for people. So the pastor had to go over there and take the mic from him. Um, but the pastor said, you know what? He said that some of his people were very discerning, and they, they had actually left and went out in the foyer because they felt something, they felt troubled. And so the pastor had to get up. It's an awkward situation. Had to get up and say to everybody there, he said, well, listen, this, tonight's over. I mean, this guy's in the middle of his altar call time wanting to pray for everybody in the house, right? And the pastor has to get up and say, well, tonight's over. this is over. He said, I, I feel the Holy Spirit is grieved, and um, th this is it. Go home. And so um, this, little, this guy gathers up his little group, and they're leaving out, marching out all you know, red-faced and angry. And they were out there talking about throwing rocks at the church and breaking the glass and stuff like that. And so some, of the, some of the deacon members were coming up to the pastor saying, man, should we call the cops or something? He said, well, he said... Um, you know, if God can't protect us from a few people with rocks, then we're really in trouble, right? You know, so they just prayed, and the people eventually left. But, but after that, after that, someone came in to preach for him off the mission field, and the Holy Spirit fell, and it was the genuine article that lasted for years and saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people get right with God. The pastor had to have discernment. If he would have embraced that counterfeit, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And let that worm its way in and get that strange spirit in that church and kind of get it deep-seated and rooted in there, the real genuine move of God would have never happened. So we got to have discernment. Now, the last couple things I want to talk about is this. There's, there's a lot of times that Tonight I'm dealing with, with Christians, you know, um, there's a lot of times that people seem very sincere, but you have to be careful because some sincere Christians may have issues in their life of inner healing, or they have tendencies to be very rebellious, etc. and it's, it hasn't been dealt with yet, and you love them and you wish them the best, and you're there, you're praying for them. And down through the years, I've seen that. I've seen people, a lot of issues, and, and as a pastor, there's been times, I just give it to the Lord, because there's been times that I thought, man, I don't know this person, but then they ended up really just going for God, and they were, everything was fine. There was other people I thought, man, they have all the potential in the world, and they ended up going off the deep end somewhere. 
So you never really know. Only God knows the tares among the weed and people's issues. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And so there's some sincere Christians out there, but because of unhealed wounds and rebellion and different things in them that they haven't dealt with, they can be problematic. And so you have to be careful with them that you don't put them in some type of a position where they could end up causing all kinds of problems. Also, we're getting through this list here. We're getting more and more serious as we go down, okay? The next level is you deal with troublemakers. Now, anybody that's been in church for a long time knows that there's certain people that are church hoppers that go from place to place. They're gossips. Did y'all hear what I said? They're rebellious. They're trouble. They're the type that sit around the dinner table talking bad about preachers and fault-finding churches and things like that. And they just go from place to place. They're just a problem. They don't stay anywhere usually too long unless they can really get entrenched there and cause problems. But there are troublemakers out there, gossips. And I remember this one story. uh, I've, I've got a few here. But this one pastor was saying that there was a particular couple in the church. And, man, they had... He had went to them, Matthew 18, he had went to them and talked to them. They were gossips, they were troublemakers, they were causing all kinds of problems in the church. He went to them and talked to them. They, they didn't repent. So he takes some of his elders, they go and talk to them. They were real sincere about it, and they still didn't repent. And so this is a true story. I heard this from, I, I know both parties, both the evangelist and the pastor, but I, the, the evangelist was telling us about it. He said that he goes there to preach on this Sunday morning. And he said, it was kind of awkward at first, but he said it was so powerful. He's on the platform. The church is out there. The pastor gets up after the worship and everything, told the evangelist, just give me a minute. I got to deal with something. Now, now understand, he, Matthew 18, he already gone to them and talked to them. He already took elders to them. This is all in private, mind you. And um, now he has to get up and deal with it publicly because they just won't repent. And so he called him out in front of the church, you know, and he said, we've done everything we could. You're not repentant, and you're causing all kinds of problems here. He said, pack up your stuff and leave this church and don't ever come back. And the elder, some of the leaders went up there and helped them pack up their stuff. Out the door they went. And the evangelist was there, and he said, man, he said, the only way I can describe it, he said, it was like a dark cloud lifted off that church service and off that congregation and went out the back door with them. And the people in the church were just like, just a sigh of relief. Because those people caused so many problems throughout that church. They had to be dealt with. Number three, we're going from least to worst problem, the Pharisees. (laughs) This is what Brother John Davis is always worried. Pastor, you better keep them Pharisees out of that church. (laughs) You don't want a bunch of Pharisees around. He said, the wrong people can keep the right people away. But religious Pharisees are those that are in opposition to the move of God. They oppose revival. They oppose tongues. They don't like the move of God. I've seen quite a few of these through the years. 
And I always just shake my head. I don't understand it, but it, it is what it is. We'll go through and pray for people. People get hit by the power of fallout. People speak in tongues, crying. God's touching people powerfully. All kinds of testimonies, mind you, people being healed and delivered and all this. But then you'll see the Pharisee in the corner just, just glaring at it. You know, They just can't stand it. What is it in them that so hates the move of the Holy Spirit? But there is a religious spirit in some people's life that makes them a Pharisee. And they hate the move of God. A religious Pharisee does not like freedom in worship. They want to just sit there like a bump on law. They don't like people be dancing free. They hate freedom in worship. A religious Pharisee does not feel comfortable with tongues. They don't like the power of God. They don't like the anointing. A Pharisee has a religious spirit about them that they don't like the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All right, the next, again, we're going from least to worst. The, the next one that you don't want around is Jezebel's. This is one of the worst things you can have in a church is a Jezebel. These people are very religious many times. They always have all kinds of visions and dreams, and they hear from God all the time. You listen to them, they're more spiritual than anybody. Listen to them talk. That, oh, they're the most spiritual person in the church. Far more spiritual than the pastor. But in actual fact, what they have is a demonic spirit, not the Holy Spirit at work, giving them all those dreams and visions and information. At the core of it, a Jezebel is extremely rebellious, very controlling. They have a counterfeit revelation, and they are there to be subversive. That's why they're there. So what does subvert even mean? It's a plant. It's somebody inside. It's that fifth column. It's somebody inside. And here's the actual definition of subvert. It means to undermine the power and the authority of an established system or institution. So in other words, if it's an established church with leadership, somebody that's a subversive person is in there, they're there to undermine the authority of that church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's a perfect definition of what a Jezebel is. They operate through a spirit the Bible would call witchcraft to subvert in that church. And you really have to pray out Jezebels because if you try to talk to them, they're not repentant. I've had the displeasure of trying to talk to a few Jezebels through the years. They are absolutely not repentant. And it's scriptural, because Jesus said in Revelation 2.20, man, I gave them space to repent, and they would not. And let me tell you, nine times out of ten, they won't. You try to talk to them, here's what they do. They say, oh, no, I'm not the Jezebel. You are. They try to turn everything around on you. They're a little innocent victim. And the true authorities of the church are the ones that are wrong. And they're not repentant at all. And if they can, they'll try to take as many people with them as they can. So the way that you deal with this is pray on a regular basis. Go through the church and pray, pastors, leaders. Do this weekly, frequently. Go through there and pray, Lord, keep the wrong people out. Keep out the tares, keep out the troublemakers, the Jezebels. 
those that are wolves, those that would come in that would try to destroy. Lord, don't let them come, but if for some reason you allow somebody to come in your infinite knowledge and wisdom, I ask you, Lord, don't let them get their roots down. Don't let them get entrenched. Don't let them get entangled in anybody's life. They're not going to be able to develop any deep, meaningful relationships, but Lord, quickly expose them and drive them out of here. Let your angels just clear them out. They won't be able to cause any problems. They won't be able to take anybody with them. They're just gone. Because sometimes I think the Lord allows somebody to come because he's given them a chance to repent. But you don't want them bringing a bunch of destruction. As a pastor, as a shepherd, it grieves. Even if they're only able to take one, it still grieves your heart that that one person was you know, sucked into their web and and taken out, you know what I'm saying? I mean, a true shepherd has a heart to lead the 99 to go get the one. So pray that God deal with it. And the last one I would mention, this is also extremely dangerous, is Judas's. These are people that, that are betrayers, like Judas. Judas was right in the middle of the camp. I mean, he was the fifth column of Jesus's disciples. Hello? He was the plant. And at the right time, Satan was able to enter Judas and use him. And that's exactly how Satan operates. He wants to put in the fifth column in a group, and at the right time, he'll walk right into that person's life. Next news you know, they're a different person, they have a different personality, and now they're causing all kinds of issues because they were a little plant that Satan had in there. Only God can know those people and get them out. You understand? Judas's obviously are betrayers, but I think of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, we always think of rebellion, which is true, they did rebel. But Korah was a relative of Moses and Aaron. I don't know if you ever realized that. And Korah basically was lifted up with pride and said, well, to the nation of Israel, who does this guy Moses think he is trying to lead us? And who does Aaron think he is? Aren't we, he was talking about his family, aren't we all anointed to lead, etc., etc.? But Korah basically, as a close relative, betrayed Moses and his relatives, both Moses and Aaron, betrayed him. And so we know the story, God dealt with it firmly caused the earth to open and suck them down <laughs> and close behind them. The earth swallowed those men that day, guys. I mean, all of them. So these that are troublemakers, dis they sow disorder and division, Judas's, God's got to get rid of those as well. And I'm going to close with this last thing is, and I'm going to pick up on this next week. I dealt more with Christians that are problematic, like a Trojan horse. But next week, I'm going to deal with non-Christians, and these are those that Satan sends in, okay? They're on assignment. And so, anyway, hopefully y'all are getting something out of this. But let me just warn you, River of Life, as, as we're going to pray, I really believe that God's about to do a new thing. I believe that we're going to be in a new place before long and that there's going to be new faces and all of that. And the tactic that the devil wants, I hope everybody's really hearing me, and I hope that you're ready for this tactic. Satan would love to send the wrong people in like a fifth column.
There's a whole bunch of good people come, but there's a few tares among the wheat. And let me just tell you to be careful that not everybody that comes through the doors of a church is of God. And I'm going to be praying that God, you know, root out the tares. But just be careful because I don't want uh, some of these that are not of God, that are wolves among the sheep, I don't want a wolf to begin to cause all kinds of problem in your life, your family, your children, uh, or try to cause problems in the church. Because when a wolf comes in, a wolf comes in to destroy. He comes in to, to grab sheep and rip them to pieces. Um, it's, it can be very serious. I, I know right now one church that comes to mind, but there are several, that they went through a really bad split because of that, this type of thing, and they've never really recovered. You know, so God doesn't want that, and I know you don't want that. So just be careful. So y'all hearing, Pastor, tonight? Not everybody that comes through the doors of a church is of God. Sometimes they're not of God, and they don't need to remain. So just be aware of that. Be careful. Don't just accept people at face value. Do what the Bible says and watch them for a little bit and look at the fruit of their lives before you get really close to them. So, Lord, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for hearing us in the prayers over this sermon. It's done. We believe it. We expect it. Thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's close down recordings, and then we're going to pray for those that want prayer and maybe have a little bit of time of intercession before we go. But I know there was some that you may want prayer. Last week I got back from Cambridge and just prayed for people. It was really powerful. So just put on some worship, and then we'll get in prayer here in just a moment. Let's go ahead and move.